I am Nancy Lynn Westfield, Director of the Wabash Center. Welcome to Dialogue on Teaching, a Silhouette Interview. The Silhouette Conversations are sparked from a list of standardized questions. We have the good fortune to hear firsthand from teaching exemplars about their teaching and their teaching life. Today, our Silhouette guest is Dr. Tatsian Benny Liu. Dr. Liu is class of 1956, Professor of New Testament Studies, College of Holy Cross. Welcome, Benny, to the conversation. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. So let's get started. When you were a child, what did you want to be when you grew up? Oh, I was a very ambitious child. So my first desire was to be a construction worker. Okay. Because growing up, uh, I don't know if you have seen uh, Hong Kong movies like Jackie Chan, uh, Hong Kong in construction, they use these long bamboo poles for scaffolding. Uh -huh. And you can see a person climbing up and climbing down. And I thought I that was seen. just the most wonderful and exciting job. Uh -huh. You get to climb all day. So that was <laughs> that was my first desire, uh -huh. is to be a construction worker. And then I wanted to be a firefighter. So I, I, I was a very ambitious child. Uh -huh. And what uh, tell our listeners? I know a little bit. What country did you grow up in? In Hong Kong. In yeah, Hong you were in Kong. Hong Kong. So yeah, that's I that's was... why you were see, that's why you were referencing the Jackie Chan movies, so we would know. That's that correct. Hong Kong. Yep. Good. Okay. Yep. Um, who was proud of you when you became a teacher? I would say my wife. Mm -hmm. My wife was and is. She continues to be proud of me for being a teacher. She told me that because I'm making a difference, that I'm not just making money, but I'm doing something meaningful that has impact that ripples out by helping people to think differently, act differently, live differently. Mm -hmm. So I'm grateful that my wife is still proud of me for doing what I'm doing. And particularly so often uh, scholars and academics, uh, people think our jobs are obscure, right? And they don't know what we're doing mm -hmm. and wonder if we're doing anything meaningful. <laughs> so to, really, so to, to so to have your spouse think and know, so that's lovely. That's, that's It is, it is. Because sometimes I would tell her uh, what experience I had in a classroom and students coming to my office to talk about certain things. I mean, she doesn't know the students, so that is fine. But she uh -huh. she knows a little bit about what happened in, in, uh -huh. in my job. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Who has influenced your teaching for the better? I would say I would I would think of the, the first person I would think of is my doctoral advisor, Marianne Tolbert uh, from uh -huh. Vanderbilt. She is now retired. Uh, but she was a amazing teacher. Her classes were always informative, but more than that, her classes were always interesting. It was fun, and you can you could see her, you could feel her passion and her energy and her excitement. It is really you catch you catch that fire when she when when she was when she was teaching. But in addition to that, I would say actually my students. Uh, they actually taught me what it means to be effective because I think I think you you know this, Lynn, that you know whether you're communicating, right? And if you're not communicating, you have to self-reflect and think about well, how can I get this point across? How I can how can I reach them? Mm -hmm. So especially in my case, because I moved from teaching 
seminary students in two different Protestant seminaries. And then where I'm now is really an undergraduate liberal arts college that is Catholic. So I basically have to change the way I teach almost completely. So I would say, really, my students have taught me so much about what it means to teach. Well, and thank goodness you had the foresight and the wisdom to listen to your students. Well, thank you. Uh, I think they let you know if they are all falling asleep, then you better do something else. (laughs) They're just tolerating you, right? We tolerate you. What has surprised you about teaching or the teaching life? Hmm. These, These questions are good. These are interesting questions. Uh, I would say I am still surprised by how anxious I am about teaching. Mm -hmm. I still do this every semester, believe it or not. This is my 26th year of teaching. Mm -hmm. But before every semester, I always go to the classroom before the semester begins. I would go to the classroom, check out the classroom, look around, check out the equipment, And once the semester has started, I always still try to get to the classroom 15 minutes early at least. And in fact, if I knew there was no one having a class before my class, I would go there 30 minutes before to set up, to think about things. So I am really still surprised by that. I thought by a certain time you would go into autopilot, but I guess it shows, I hope that it shows that I still care. But, uh, but I get anxious about teaching. I think it's care. I also think it's a respect for who your learners are and a respect from, for the craft itself, that, it, that the learners can't be taken for granted and the craft still has to be attended to. Mm, that's, a, that's a nice way to put it. Uh, since I told you I grew up in Hong Kong, there's a Chinese saying that you have to respect your profession and you have to be happy in your profession. Mm-hmm. So I, I like how you put it. Thank you. Mm-hmm. What is a favorite nickname by which you were called by a loved one? Ooh. I have to say, I have to say it is Benny Boy. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. (laughs) Nobody calls me this anymore. I would tell you why. Uh, The only people who call me Benny Boy are... it's a family that I first met when I first came to the U.S. Uh, they were farmers. And I would spend every vacation that I had because I could not stay in a dormitory. These are basically the only people, the only family I knew. I would, I would go and stay with them. And the farmer couple, they were older, more traditional, uh, from Indiana, really loving. Of, uh, of course, uh, there are some what we would call today blind spots that do not know. So I am already I was already going to college. Right. But to them, I was still a boy. And in many ways, they treated me like a son. Uh, they call me Benny boy. And I actually I did not mind it at all. It was kind of endearing. I love it. But today, nobody call nobody calls me that anymore. So I but that still stay with me when this question came up. Uh, so don't call me Benny boy. You're uh, in no they danger. Have, they have monopoly on, on, on this a, nickname. You are in no danger. I will never call any grown man a boy. Don't worry. Don't worry. <laughs> Too many black men in my life. I know better yeah, than to yeah, do that yeah, kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, next question. What profession other than teaching would you like to attempt? 
I will. I think I'm going to surprise you. I would say becoming a sports commentator. Say more, Vinny. I don't know if you know, but uh, I love sports. Uh, some of your colleagues at Wokobash Center uh, used to say that I know more sports scores than anybody else they know. Uh, I watch all kinds of sports. My wife said I have never seen a ball that I don't like, which is clearly not true. There are some I don't watch, but I watch a lot of things, tennis, basketball, football, soccer, uh, you name it. So I'm always impressed by and admire those sports commentators, John Madden, Al Michaels, so I always fancy myself being a sports commentator. I don't think it would happen, but, but uh, that would be my dream job if I'm not teaching. So now you never know. So you and I used to talk Venus and Serena. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It dawned on me that you could talk other sports too, because all I, I can know is talk, Venus and I Serena. can talk a lot of sports. <laughs> you did not know this? I think Paul I did. That's this. new. That's new information for me. That's, it's, no. it's, that's marvelous. Paul knows this, that when I'm at the Warburg Center in the January meeting, mm -hmm. I would get up at like 2, 3 a.m. or something so I can watch the Australian Open. Yeah. Okay, okay. Th okay. See, I'm not. I'm a fair-weather <laughs> fan. I, I watch the reruns. <laughs> no, I would actually stay up to watch things. I'm crazy. Do you enjoy writing by longhand? And if so, what is your preference of ink pen or writing utensil? This would be an easy answer. No, I do not. Yeah. I basically type everything now. I don't think I can write in longhand. Uh, the only time I actually pick up a pen is to sign something or if I'm reading a hard copy book and I want to make some notes. Uh, I don't write much anymore with, with a pen because basically I cannot even read what I wrote. So I'm completely tied to and I'm completely dependent on the computer Keyboard, uh, by right? this time. Okay. Yep. What is your superpower? Ah, these are really such interesting questions. I, I did not expect. Uh, I would say adaptability, mm -hmm. flexibility. I think I am a pretty fast learner. I learn quite fast. So I talk about moving from teaching seminary students to undergrad. Uh, I think I made a transition quite quickly and smoothly. Uh, in most situations, I'm pretty flexible. I've lived uh, I've lived in so many different places, just in North America. I've lived in the South, the West, the Midwest, the North, and now I'm on the East Coast. And, uh, you know, the cultures are different, but I think I generally adapt very fairly quickly. So I guess that would be my superpower. You have so, to adapt in life. So can I add to that? Yeah. Right. So because it's a part of that, Benny, I have seen you read a room, read a context faster and more accurately than almost anybody else I know. So part of your adaptability, there's a step before that. You're reading the room. Well, nice. Is that, that is very kind of you. I, I appreciate it, Lynn. Thank you. What's your favorite cuss word? <laughs> this is an unexpected question. Is uh, is this allowed? Yes, it is. Um, this is going to be testing you because my favorite cuss word actually is in Chinese. Oh, tell us, tell us, tell us. And the loose translation is. 
<laughs> the loose translation of this is if somebody says something so ridiculous or do something so ridiculous that you basically don't know what to do with it. Mm-hmm. You are like kind of at a loss at the, at the stupidity, at the ridiculousness of what that person did. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, literally, it means like you have been, you somebody was inflating you, gaslighting you until you're almost going to be blown up. Uh, so is my favorite cuss word. So That's fabulous. That's uh, fabulous. I, I, I taught you something in Chinese. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. <laughs> and I'm grateful. I'm not going to say I'm going to use it, but I'm grateful. <laughs> so now when I hear it, right, then, then, then I'll know. Uh, can I ask you what is your favorite cuss word? I did not um, expect this at all. So I have many. So much to my... <laughs> I did not come from a cursing household, right? Starting in junior high school, I started cursing like a sailor. Ooh. So I don't try to limit myself to one or two favorites. I like to stack them together. <laughs> you like a one after another in, in a yes, chain of words yes. coming out? Wow. And, and to make nouns, <laughs> verbs, and descriptors of, you know, adjectives of all kinds to see just how graphic not graphically uh, <laughs> better I can be, but just so I can describe the situation and usually the frustration I have for whatever's happening. This and is actually, wonderful. I, I learned to, to curse descriptively from my best friend's mother, Kitty Simmons, would curse descriptively. And we would listen. I remember listening to her and thinking, wow, I wasn't learning how to do that because I came from a non-cursing household, right? I never once heard my father curse. My father, my mother would say darn and then look around like she and like cover her mouth like she had said something terrible. Um, but anyway, yes. I so don't know yes. where you came up with these questions. I don't think I've ever been asked a question in my life. Until and so today. now you're ready. Now you're ready. <laughs> next, next question. How have you survived certain violences in teaching? Hmm. I think I, I do two things. I mentioned to you how much I like sports. When I watch sports, I can actually forget everything. And once the game is over, once the match is over, I am good. And I'm very strange on that front because most people like to watch games, sports contests with other people, like Super Bowl party. I don't. I like to watch it all by myself. I don't even want to watch it with my wife. I want complete concentration. Uh, that's what one thing I do. Another thing that is similar to this would be watching movies. Uh, I can, can get completely lost watching a movie. And then when I'm done, all things are forgotten. Uh, so teaching in some ways is could be really violent, especially for a person of color. Uh, I, I still remember my first job. I taught my first class. This is literally the first class I taught as a full-time faculty member. And after the class, a white woman, maybe about 50, I I am not good at reading age. She came up to me and told me, you know nothing about how to teach adults. That's the first thing that came out of her mouth. Because she said, you require us to take tests. Adults don't take tests. She just said, I don't take tests. Adults don't take tests. And you don't give handouts. You give a lot of information. You do not know how to teach adults. I was like, Ooh, 
So I went home. What did I do? I watched a movie. <laughs> so, like immersing yourself in that's the story of the movie is a way to suspend time and and get a breath, right? Get some space, yeah. get some yeah. perspective. So yeah. it, it makes perfect sense. Yeah, and sports Next. does the same thing for me. Yep, yep. Suspends time. It's I mean, it's it transports you, right? It's yep. I mean, I get that. Next question: What healings have you witnessed or received in teaching or the teaching life? I think the healing that I received is actually learning more and more things about myself. Mm. Uh, teaching is really ent- interactional, right? It's not just you sharing something with students, but students share things with you. And in that sharing, actually, I learned something about myself, what I assume about other people, what I assume about the students, uh, we, whether as a group or in particular, somebody in particular. Uh, so that would be the healing that I received. Did you say what is the other verb you use? Healing that you receive or witness or witnessed or witness? Uh, I think that would be students having their light bulb turn on. Mm-hmm. Uh, in those rare moments, I told you that I share with my my wife uh, sometimes what happened in the classroom. In those rare moments when students really got the point. And they could not stop talking. They could not stop discussing. Or some moments when they came to your classroom and told you some really personal stuff, what they're struggling with. Uh, those are those amazing moments of 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 healing for the students and for myself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What have you enjoyed, or what has been your joy about teaching or the teaching life? Ah, this one is easier, better than the one about my favorite cuss word. Uh, <laughs> you had an I, answer pretty quick. Come because, on, come on. <laughs> because I told my son this all the time. Mm. I cannot think of a better job than teaching because they pay me to learn. They pay nice. me to learn literally. Uh, I'm a very curious person. I love to learn. I love to learn different things. But I have this privilege that somebody actually give me money so I can learn something new and then I can help students to learn something new. Mm-hmm. Uh, so is there any other job better than this? I mean, they also give you a summer off. I mean, sometimes we have the moonlight because the teaching might not be enough. But mm-hmm. generally, you have time to learn. It, it, it's, it's just amazing. So... They pay you to learn. That's the best part about teaching. You sound like a nerd. <laughs> I am in some way, but uh, I do watch movies and sports. <laughs> <laughs> Two steps away from nerddom. No, I feel the same way, right? I feel the same way, right? This yeah, there's so many things to learn. I the mean, fact that this so is a job, right? Yep. It's amazing. Yep. Last question. So this is about you reflecting back like after retirement. So years and years and years from now, you're not close to retirement. Uh, years and years, ah, years, and years, years. years from then. <laughs> when you look back over your teaching career, what miracles will you have performed? I would say the miracle that I would love to talk about, and I think it is happening, it is not done yet, is that I managed to build a network of scholars who are really friends. And I don't mean just professional uh, relationship. 
Uh, I don't mean just people I know, and you and I have a lot of those, right? Especially you work in the Wabash Center. But I'm talking about a small group of people that they are, our relationship is not just professional, but we're really friends. We know each other's families. We can basically talk about anything. They know my children. I know their children. Uh, we know each other's partners. Uh, we talk about not just academic stuff, but talk about life. Uh, we both know how competitive and egoistic people in the academy can be. Mm-hmm. So in some way, I really think that is a miracle. And there's a miracle that I treasure the most. I know there are people that I can call and I can tell them what I'm feeling, what I'm facing, discussion that I need to have. And I can count on them to tell me what they think confidentially, but also honestly. Uh, I think that that is a miracle in the academy. I think the foil for individualism is friendship. Yeah. Right? And and individualism that is killing us, right, is yep. to be a friend, make a friend, have a friend, right? Yep. Participate in the challenge of friendship. So I think I think it's and the fact that you you're saying it is so rare and needs to be attended to um to the to the to the level of it might be miraculous. Because we do talk to many, you know, in the early career workshops, sometimes we talk to our early career colleagues about their friendships and the need for friendships, and they will report back. They don't have any friends. Yeah, yeah, that is really sad. Ooh, you that can't do really this work sad. without friends. Exactly. You got, I mean, life is not meant to be lived by yourself. No. And uh, family is not enough either. You really need to have all kinds of relationships to sustain yourself and to help yourself live bigger than this this job right so i i really i treasure that 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 network of scholars who have become real friends my friend benny lu i thank you for this conversation and for your candidness right this has been great thank you it it has been a joy so uh, as i said i've never done an interview like this those questions were fun and surprising so i enjoyed it thank you for having me welcome to the silhouette interview format To our listeners, the Wabash Center website is the place. Look on our website for information about our educational resources, like our blogs, our journal on teaching, our uh, cache of podcasts. Look to our website for our re-granting program, as well as information about our workshops, colloquies, and roundtables. A special thanks to sound engineer, Dr. Paul Myrie, and podcast producer, Rachel Mills. The music which frames the Silhouette podcast is the original composition of Paul Myrie. Wabash Center for more than 28 years is exclusively funded by Lilly Endowment Incorporated. And we are out. How was that, Paul?